a little bit about me. I am a release manager at 343 Industries, but I also am a community and gaming, uh, a gaming, uh, I'm sorry, a gaming and disability community lead. I can put those in order. Um, as part of the G4E program. And my uh, co-lead, Tara Velker, is up here. Tara, you want to raise your hand? Yeah. Tara, Tara is, uh, has been an incredible partner in this journey and, uh, and in this role. I have been in the game industry 16 years. I started uh, in Xbox. Uh, they needed somebody to help them launch Xbox Live back in the day. And I had a background in AV and network testing, so that kind of aligned very nicely with what was going on at the time. But I've actually been working with the disability community over 22 years. And uh, for uh, those of you who uh, know sign language, you'll watch me and think, yeah, his sign language is eh, OK. Well, that's uh, because a long, long time ago, I was studying to be an interpreter. And then I watched interpreters, and I learned that interpreting is really hard. <laughs> I don't have, and this is where my sign language falls apart, I don't have the uh, knowledge or the uh, um, mental, emotional stamina to, to interpret. So I have a lot of respect for uh, our interpreters uh, who are here today. But working with the deaf community really made me realize the importance of accessibility. And uh, in my career here at Microsoft, in Office, in Windows, and in Xbox, I've tried very hard to advocate for accessibility. And it's so funny about things lining up. You know, we just had Accessibility Week. Um, uh, we just launched uh, the Xbox Adaptive Controller. Um, another kind of just fun coincidence is I decided to clean my uh, basement. And uh, yeah, you know, it was about time. It had been a few years, and my wife was getting angry at me. So I thought, ah, I'm going to clean out the basement. And I found an old hard drive. And I popped that hard drive in an old dock. and. Uh, realized that it contained some really old materials I had created around accessibility. And as part of that, those materials, I found the very first PowerPoint presentation I ever gave on game accessibility. And this was, if you, it's kind of hard to see down in the bottom of the corner here, but it says Game Fest. That was Microsoft Game Fest, and that was back in 2006. So this slide deck is 12 years old. Uh, it's a testament to Microsoft that we can still open files that are 12 years old, I think. Um, but the title of the slide says, Expanding Your Audience Through Accessibility. And the reason was, um, at that time in the industry, people in the industry didn't know what accessibility meant. Accessibility was largely relegated to operating systems and Win32 applications, productivity software. Uh, so when you would go in and you would talk to a studio and say, hey, how's your game accessible? you just get a lot of blank stares. So my purpose at GameFest uh, was to try to help educate people on why accessibility was important and how it could be uh, good for both the gamers and the, uh, the, the title developers that uh, were supporting them. There was one slide in particular, though, that I pulled out. And it was this one, accessibility resources. Now, the reason I'm showing you this slide is um, there's not a lot up here. You know, back in 2006, from a Microsoft perspective, we had one alias that you could ask accessibility questions of. You could send an email off to ablecat at Microsoft, and they would tell you a lot about Office accessibility, a lot about Windows accessibility. Um, and by the way, for people coming in, don't be embarrassed. Feel free. Come in. Have a seat. We've got seats all over here. Don't, don't be shy. <laughs> but anyways, 
that was it. That was your option. You could email them. And if you asked them about gaming, you weren't likely to get a response, or at least a good one. Um, so when I was putting together this deck, I realized we needed something like that. So I created an alias called X Access at Microsoft.com, and that alias is still in uh, effect. Uh, it goes to a select number of us who are accessibility subject matter experts. And people can email us with questions like, hey, I'm a game developer. What's a good way for me to implement subtitles? Or, hey, I uh, have a child who has um, some fine motor limitation. What types of games or controllers are going to work well for them? And we try our best to answer all of those. So I created that specifically for this event, and it's, it's still going on today. And then in terms of sites about accessibility, again, the first two are very PC-centric. Nothing really about gaming up there at that time. Uh, one was consumer-facing. That was the Microsoft accessibility site. One was the MSDN accessibility site. However, there were a few organizations that were working on game accessibility. Uh, one was the IGDA. Uh, they had a game accessibility special interest group, which is still there today and still doing great work. Uh, so I pointed people up to that site. Uh, there's also a great site that is also still around today called GameAccessibility.com that has some articles, information on how to make games accessible and, and what games are accessible. Sometimes they'll do reviews of platforms and, and the like. And then this last one is kind of a bummer, DeafGamers.com. Uh, gentleman out of the UK was running this site for the longest time. No. Deafness, uh, deafness hadn't affected him. He had no hearing impairments. But um, just realized that a lot of games were very inaccessible to those uh, who can't hear. And decided that uh, he was going to try to provide reviews and give people information about titles before they spent their hard-earned money on them. Unfortunately, he didn't have the resources uh, to keep the site running. And it, uh, he had to shut it down after a few years. And uh, it's just a shame that that site's no longer around. So again. Key takeaway here, there weren't a lot of resources. Not a lot of resources available. So now let's jump today. The future is now. And we've improved slightly. This year, I'm happy to say that we launched the Gaming for Everyone website. Uh, it's based, it, it's a, it's a subsite of xbox.com. And it is designed to help educate developers about the gaming for everyone communities we serve. And for those who don't know, we serve five different major communities, uh, women in gaming, uh, Blacks at Xbox, Latinx, LGBTQIA, and uh, gaming and disability. And on the gaming and disability side of things, we have tons of information on our site explaining to developers why accessibility is important. We link to great resources and nonprofits that can help them. We uh, provide a calendar of events that are going on in the industry where accessibility will be talked about. So back in the day, if you were a developer and you had a passion for accessibility, it was really hard to, you know, you kind of had to find mail lists and things like that, you know, kind of to glom onto to try to get information. Now we're starting to see more and more of these uh, sites uh, popping up that aggregate accessibility information and share it out. Also, in the last month or so, we launched a publicly facing, community-focused accessibility site. So while the first site is more for developers, this site is really for end users. And this largely fulfills a need that we are trying to fill, fulfill with X-Access, which is it provides information to people 
who want to game on our platform but don't necessarily know how to. And it's much more uh, uh, discoverable than our alias, uh, much more robust, and really, really proud that we are um, kind of staking, you know, put, putting a line in the sand, as it were, um, by publicly showing our support and our uh, interest in supporting the gaming and disability community in this way. But we're not the only company doing this. Uh, EA has had an accessibility site up for now. I think it's been six, seven months. Uh, this is more of a community-facing website, not so much for developers, but it talks about all the fantastic work EA is doing around game accessibility, especially in their sports franchises. Um, I'm proud to say that uh, the uh, individual who's heading up uh, their accessibility initiatives is a gal by the name of Karen Stevens. She actually used to work here at Microsoft back in the day. And we work together on game accessibility. And I'm just incredibly humbled and proud of all the incredible work she's done over at EA, making sites like this possible, and also driving accessibility features into their game. Uh, fun fact, you can play Madden 2018 if you are completely blind. They have, yeah, right? I mean, that's something to, that is something to really, I mean, wrap your head around that. I can't play Madden. <laughs> <laughs> because I, I'm, I'm just not a football person. And yet, as complex and as, as detailed as that game is, they have worked hard to ensure that blind gamers are able to get in there and do that work. And that's largely uh, thanks to the work that Karen Stevens has done there. So EA, they're doing um, a lot of uh, work both internally as well as uh, you know, helping uh, their community or communities uh, discover that work and, um, and uh, utilize it. We also have some amazing, amazing nonprofits uh, and NGOs that are working in the space of accessible gaming. Uh, I'm incredibly excited and honored to have Mark Barlet from Able Gamers here today, who's going to talk to you a little bit about their organization. I've worked with Mark, what, Mark, over 10 years? Over 10. Over 10, yeah. So again, feeling a little old. Um, but it, Able Gamers has done such an incredible job um, not only helping gamers with disabilities get into gaming through uh, equipment grants, helping them set up customized rigs, uh, helping them find titles that work well for them, but also advocating for accessible design, inclusive design in the game industry. Um, Mark's uh, been all over the place talking about the subject, including the White House. Uh, so uh, you wanna—you got me there. I haven't been there yet. <laughs> but I mean, that's—I mean, the fact that Mark is able to get that level of attention for the industry is is phenomenal, and that level of, uh, you know, again, not just industry attention, but um, overall community attention. So really, really grateful for the work they do. Another. Uh, group I've worked with is Special Effect. They're fantastic. Uh, they're over in the UK. And uh, they do uh, some stuff, um, some of the same things that um, uh, Able Gamers does uh, uh, in terms of you know, helping people put together accessible gaming rigs uh, that are customized to their needs. Um, they do a little bit of advocacy work. Uh, their, their founder is an incredible guy by the name of Dr. Mick Donegan. I had a chance to travel to Costa Rica with him. Uh, a few years ago to help um, use Connect to um, 
as a rehab device for, for uh, low-income students in, um, in, in an area just outside of the capital of Guatemala. I'm sorry, of Costa Rica. And just a fantastic gentleman that put a lot of effort and hard work into assisting the community. And then finally, Warfighter Engaged. Uh, Warfighter Engaged uh, primarily focuses on assisting uh, military vets who have been injured uh, in um, getting back into gaming. And uh, interestingly, one of their uh, board members is Matt Height, who is an engineer here at Microsoft. And Matt is, uh, incidentally, the uh, guy who was one of the founders of the original hackathon project that spawned the Xbox Adaptive Controller uh, a few years ago. So um, they're a fantastic organization. They do a ton of great work with uh, the military, uh, getting people the custom rigs they need. They do a lot of custom engineering. Um, I should point out, though, that they don't turn anybody away. Um, we've passed people over to them in the past who just have had accidents, maybe not military-related, or um, we've had some kids who've had special uh, asks, and they've always been happy to help. So the fact that we can lean on these nonprofits for both advocacy and for community engagement is, is it's something I'm incredibly grateful for, because um, they've done so much to drive uh, the topic of accessibility. Uh, and they've given us, uh, it, it's, such, it's so great to be able to have that, those resources available to us when we're out there advocating um, for the community. There's also a number of conferences uh, that are now talking about accessibility. And, uh, you know, at XFest, uh, prior, or I'm sorry, GameFest, it then became XFest, and then I think it went back to GameFest, it's, it's kind of moved around a bit, but uh, that was the first talk they had ever had on accessibility at, at that specific conference. Um, for a while, a lot of, uh, for a long time, a lot of the major game development conferences weren't having any accessibility talks, or you had specific talks like the Boston Games for Health conference that Mark and I participated in way back in the day. Um, but now we're seeing the mainstream game conferences pick this up. So this year, GDC, I want to say they had 10 talks on accessibility, uh, about 10, um, specifically about inclusive design and, and accessibility in gaming. Um, there's going to be talks this year at Develop Brighton over across the pond, so really excited about that. Uh, CSUN is actually an accessible technologies conference that's been around, I think, 32 years now. But they've historically focused primarily on ac uh, accessible tech for daily life, you know, uh, mobility, communication, productivity. Uh, but over the last few years, they've continued to add gaming content to their uh, talks. And that's been fantastic. It helps raise the awareness of the need uh, both externally as well as internally within um, the community of, say, physical therapists and, and other folks who work with the gaming disability community to let them know, you know, hey, we've got resources out there and here's what's available. And then finally, GAConf. And GAConf is something um, uh, I'm incredibly proud to say that our own Tara Velker uh, put together with the help of another accessibility uh, advocate in the industry by the name of Ian Hamilton. It's a fantastic conference. This year was its second conference. Microsoft sponsored it every year. And this year it was such a huge hit that um, they're taking it on the road. They're going to go over to Paris and give a talk or give a conference over it at the end of October. Um, again, purely focused on game accessibility. Uh, usually in the US, at least, it takes place uh, the Monday before GDC. Uh, but just a fantastic uh, opportunity for the community to get together, uh, meet up with uh, developers, designers, and talk about um, th their needs. You know, another thing 
that makes me feel old is how far social media has come uh, in the last five, 10 years. You know, when I started, we were largely relegated to listservs and distribution lists uh, as it relates to accessibility. Um, that made it really, you know, a bit of an echo chamber, as it were. You know, we, people who were passionate could find other people who were passionate. Um, but if you didn't know where to look, or if you didn't know somebody who knew where to look, it was um, really hard to find those people. And when you did find those people, um, you know, a lot of it was just, you know, there, 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 it was, um, there was a lot of concern or difficulty discussed around trying to take the message externally. Now we have Facebook, we have Twitter, we have Instagram. There's probably a few new ones that I don't know about yet. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is that if you want to know what the community thinks about accessibility now, whether you're tied into the community or not, you can find a load of information coming straight from the people who it impacts the most. This is just a handful. I mean, I, I got lazy because I was like, I could keep throwing up more and more uh, pictures and Twitter handles of folks um, who work on ex uh, accessibility as advocates or do it as part of their jobs or have a need for it. Um, but what's fantastic is that all these different Twitter handles up here, um, and there's, I think, what, uh, 12? Um, these are all people you can go follow right now and learn a little bit more about game accessibility from their perspective. It's very easy to discover, and they are fantastic about being um, really vulnerable and open about sharing their experiences. You know, a lot of these folks are t uh, streaming. In fact, uh, Deaf Gamers TV uh, is here. Uh, Chris is going to come up and chat in a little bit. But, like, you can actually watch somebody game who is deaf or who maybe has a severe fine motor impairment or who is uh, perhaps blind and w learn and see firsthand how those individuals experience gaming. It's incredibly eye-opening. And again, the fact that these resources are available and that they're so easy to find, it's just something we didn't have back in the day. And so I'm really excited uh, that uh, the community is, is so easy to get in touch with. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. That's a great question. Um, I'm going to be sending out the deck. So the question was, am I going to be sending out the deck? And the answer is yes. Uh, I'll pass out all the decks. Uh, they'll all get emailed to you. Um, all the resources, all the links, all the community members, go to town. Utilize them, please. Uh, it would make, nothing would really make me happier. And plus, more resources. And again. This is just a handful, right? I could have gone on and on. There are so many incredible sites out now that provide fantastic information. Um, includification uh, and game accessibility guidelines both are designed to take you from kind of a beginner's like, hmm, I'm interested in accessibility, but I don't know how to really do accessibility. They give you very straightforward guidance on how to make both very basic fundamental accessibility changes to your titles uh, to very advanced, um, highly um, delightful uh, experiences. You've got, or, um, you've got uh, organizations, independent consultants. You've got um, Twitter addresses for major companies. The, the list goes on and on. But again, the fact of the matter is, in 2018, we have a ton of resources available to us 
and we just need to utilize them. So where do things sit now in terms of platform? Well, at Xbox, due to the work um, of a number of people in this room, we have some incredible accessibility features available. We have a screen reader on the console. There's a funny story. Years ago, I told Evelyn Thomas, and this is me being the, the champion of game accessibility, I said, yeah, the day we have a screen reader on a console, pigs will fly. And I remember getting this email from her that just had a picture of a pig with wings. <laughs> the reason was back in 2006, there was so little interest and so little understanding of why accessibility was important that it was really hard for me to see that day ever being real. And yet here we are. Now the way Narrator works is that it allows you to read out all the elements of the Xbox dashboard. You can navigate to your titles, you can find titles, you can purchase them, launch them. Now what Narrator doesn't do, it doesn't actually read out the in-game portions of the of content, so in-game menus and the like. Developers need to take a, um, uh, some action to uh, make their menus uh, accessible for people with visual impairments and to enable screen reader type capabilities. But we've built some APIs around that. I'm going to talk about those a little more later in the day. Now screen magnifier, on the other hand, allows individuals to zoom in on a section of the screen. And that's title agnostic. So no game, uh, no app has to do any work to allow magnifier to work. You simply hit your uh, guide button, hit the window button, boom, you bring up magnifier. And um, it's great, uh, not just for those uh, who maybe have visual impairments, but just the other day I was playing a game and I sit about 10 feet away from my TV. I have a pretty big TV, it's about a 60 inch. But I was having, the text was so small, I was having a hard time reading it. And I fired up magnifier, zoomed in, I was able to read it, pop out and went back to gameplay. Fantastic feature. Closed captions. We now have a centralized location for users to store closed caption preferences like font size, color, opacity of the background behind the text. And developers can go and pull those settings and use it when they render their captions. This means that people don't have to keep going in and constantly resetting their captions in every different title. On top of that, it allows individuals to, um, uh, you know, or games to, when they fire up, um, you might have your opening cinematic and you're like, ah, I don't know, should I put closed captions on or not? Well, by default, generally, yeah, you should put them on because no one wants to launch a title and, you know, watch a five minute intro video and not be able to understand what's being said or, or happening in it because there's no captions. But hey, pull the caption settings from the console and if those are enabled, you know, definitely, yeah, bring them up, launch them. So, Another great feature, high contrast mode. This is dashboard specific. Uh, it allows you to um, change the text colors to either very dark on very light or very light on very dark. Um, but again, games can choose to read that setting and then implement their own high contrast mode if they want. So again, don't need to ask the user if they need high contrast mode. You can actually just say, oh, hey, this user, they've enabled it. Probably means we should enable ours too. At the controller level, there's two major changes uh, that we've done, or two major initiatives that we've, we've uh, launched that I'm really proud of. The first is button remapping. You can do system-wide button remapping at a console level. Now, 
that doesn't mean that this abdicates the need for games to implement that functionality. But it's a great fallback, especially for legacy titles um, that aren't going to get updated, for users to be able to customize controls uh, to be more easily usable for, for them. Uh, this works really, really nicely with the Xbox Adaptive Controller. Similarly, we also have a new uh, a feature that is uh, helping uh, our um, gamers with uh, fine motor and other types of uh, disabilities, and that is Copilot. Copilot allows you to take the, uh, the output from two different controllers and treat it as if it's a single controller. So a real world example that I use Copilot on, um, with on a regular basis, I have a three-year-old. And he loves Forza Horizon. He believes the whole purpose of Forza Horizon is to crash the cars together. So I'm constantly, if you're over at my house, you'll hear, Daddy, get that one. Daddy, run into that one. All right, all right, Chase. Uh, cute little guy, but not the best fine motor skills yet. So steering is really hard for him. Now, in the past, the way we played Forza is he'd sit on my lap, and I'd give him kind of this big bear hug. And we'd put the controller there, and he would do the gas and pedal, or gas and brake on the thumbsticks, and then I'd kind of hold the triggers and try to steer. Um, that was great when he was a little smaller, but the kid's getting big now. <laughs> and uh, that's a, a bigger a bear hug than you might, uh, than I, than I, you know, I'm, I, let's face it, I'm just, he's, he's getting too big for me. And so now what do we do? I give him another controller. He controls the gas and brake on his controller. I steer on my controller, it's fantastic. We have a lot of fun that way. It's also really valuable for someone who maybe has a fine motor uh, impairment and needs to use the Xbox Adaptive Controller for some of their input. You can pair an Xbox Adaptive Controller with one of our traditional controllers. You can have um, a caregiver for somebody with a very, very severe uh, type of disability uh, who can play alongside to help uh, another gamer uh, to help that gamer get through some of the more challenging parts. It's just it's an incredible feature and so proud of the team for getting that implemented. Um, you can also do some fun metagaming stuff. Try playing Halo with a friend and have one person do the shooting and one person do the movement and yeah, trust me that's, that, that's, that's a good time. Uh, game transcription. Um, so from a game transcription perspective we have um, a new feature that allows games to render a window. Uh, within the title that um, translates text chat into spoken audio for those using headsets and vice versa. Spoken text that's being said over headsets in the text uh, for people who uh, perhaps are deaf or hard of hearing. Uh, we have to have titles enable that feature. It's not something that comes out of the box, but you can set those settings here in the dashboard, and if the, if the game chooses to use that technology, they'll apply uh, when, they use, when they launch that title. And then finally, this is a pretty new one. We added an audio option to take stereo audio and condense it to mono. You say, well, why would someone want to do that? Well, if I'm somebody who has maybe partial hearing loss, maybe I can't hear out of my left ear, but I can hear out of my right ear, um, the problem with stereo is sometimes uh, I'm going to hear some sounds over here that might be alerting to me something, uh, alerting 
me to something that's important. And if I can't hear out of this ear, I'm gonna miss them. So by condensing it to mono, I can make sure that I hear all the important sounds uh, coming through um, on the, uh, through whichever ear I'm, I'm able to hear the best through. This also works really well um, for people who are plugging in their um, hearing aids uh, to uh, the 3.5 millimeter jack on our controllers. Because again, some of those hearing aids uh, don't do well with a stereo, they work better with mono. So just another great feature. But we're not the only ones who are doing these features. Sony, this is their accessibility menu at the platform level. So a lot of great work in this space. Uh, it's great to see the entire industry moving forward, not just Microsoft, because ultimately at the end of the day, we want everyone to be able to game no matter what platform they're on. Uh, so uh, you'll see a lot of their features um, kind of mimic the features we have here, uh, and uh, just continue to look for them to add uh, additional features uh, moving forward. Now, from a game's perspective, uh, I would say, you know, whereas on platform, I think Microsoft kind of has the, the uh, lead when it comes to accessibility in our titles. On the PS4 side, I think they've got the advantage when it comes to their products. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit more about an example of a, of a really great product on their platform that's highly accessible. But in general, Platform can only go so far in terms of enabling accessibility. Titles have to make themselves accessible, have to take advantage of those technologies. And so the example I'm showing up on the screen right now is a screenshot of um, Way of the Passive Fist. And there's a number of options shown, accessibility options. Uh, some of the cool ones here that I, I think are awesome, shaking effects. So a lot of people, um, whether you're on the neurodiversity spectrum or you're just like me and kind of get motion sick easily, sometimes those shaking effects can be really problematic. They've given individuals the ability to turn it off. Uh, they have an ability to turn on extra large HUD scaling. So if you have a visual impairment and it's hard to read the HUD, you can blow up the size of the HUD and make it easier to see uh, important information. They have a high contrast mode you can turn on. They even have an ability to turn off flashing FX, which is uh, particularly important for people uh, who perhaps, say, have epilepsy or are prone to seizures. Uh, or again, um, some folks just uh, who are very, um, you know, conditions uh, such as sensory processing disorder who are maybe overwhelmed by certain types of uh, uh, visual impact, uh, input, you can turn off those flashing effects. Ton of great features, and this was all done by working incredibly closely with the gaming and disability community. In fact, even though they're an ID studio, they actually hired an accessibility consultant and designer for their project, and um, their, their efforts have really paid off in spades. But again, it's not just ID, I was talking about Sony. So Uncharted 4, I think, is a prime example of a game doing accessibility well. The way this worked was we had uh, a individual from the gaming and disability community uh, reach out to the Uncharted team and tell them that despite their love for the title, they couldn't play, they couldn't finish the game because there were all these challenges that were presented to them. Rather than send them a cut and paste, you know, thanks for your feedback email, they actually brought them in, chatted with them, spoke with other members of the community, and the result is what you see on the screen. You see an accessibility menu, uh, you see options like camera assist, vehicle camera assist, aim mode, lock on aim, sticks while aiming, repeated button presses, subtitles. All of these features, incredibly valuable for people with a wide range of different disabilities, right? Whether it's visual impairments, mobility impairments, uh, hearing impairments. This 
got them so much positive PR. It was incredible. Um, our own Phil Spencer actually tweeted out uh, 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 a really awesome uh, message of support to that team for the amazing work they did. Uh, this level of accessibility really opens the doors to a much broader audience, and it really earned them goodwill with the community. I would love to see um, Microsoft first party titles uh, approach uh, accessibility with the same fervor. Now, Dave already talked a little bit about the Xbox Adaptive Controller, which is what you see on screen right now. Uh, I'm not going to go a lot into it other than to say this is another product that I didn't think I would see a major console manufacturer do, at least in, in my career. Um, this, I think, is the first, someone correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure this is the first uh, accessible peripheral designed by a major console manufacturer since 1986 in the Nintendo Sip and Puff controller. I, yeah? Was it a little later than that? It was a little later than that? Okay. But, I mean, think about this. In the past, you had to go out and you had to find accessibility devices that cost a lot of money and only worked in a very specific rig. Often they were hacked together. Uh, if it broke, you were out of luck. They were unofficially supported by console manufacturers. And now we have a device that people that's readily available, people can easily get. It's price, uh, it's, it's, it's price to be competitive with standard controllers, which is a lot better than some of those custom AT solutions that could run into the hundreds or even thousands of dollars. And it was designed from the ground up to be, you know, from the community. It was, I mean, we brought in able gamers. We brought in Warfighter. We brought in individual community members. We gave out units for test. We redesigned and iterated and iterated and iterated and just came up with a beautiful, incredibly uh, powerful product. Of all the products I've worked on at Microsoft, I can say without a doubt, this is the one I'm most proud of. And I actually didn't do a lot, by the way. I just kind of helped facilitate some community feedback. But still, just to be associated with a product like this is, is really incredible. Now, I'm going to end on a slide that I was really debating about putting in, even in here. You know, in the past, people would ask me, what do we have to do? Yeah, that's great. That's all pie in the sky. I'd love to make game usable for everyone. But what do we have to do? And in the past, it was nothing. You don't have to do anything. Um, now, that's changed a little bit. We have the 21st Century Communications Act that has put some regulations around accessibility. Uh, we've had waivers as an industry for years. Those waivers end this year. And so there's going to be some mandatory compliance when it comes to certain accessibility features around communication. Europe is also mulling over some uh, regulations around accessibility that could impact video games. You know. I don't like to think of regulation as being good for innovating. Regulation, historically, I don't think does a good job of driving innovation. But when you have people who are sluggish to do what's right, sometimes it's what's needed. What I would love for us to do, though, is not think about regulation, not think about what we have to do, but think about what we should do. What we should do to make our products accessible and enjoyable for our users. Because at the end of the day, compliance doesn't mean 
a good experience. It really doesn't. It just means you're compliant. It's usable. It doesn't mean you're going to have fun with it. And that's where I want to see Microsoft go. I want us to make customer delighting hardware, software, and platform products. Oops. So with that, uh, we're actually not going to have time for questions because I ate <laughs> a little more time than I should have. But the good news is that you can find me. I'm easily discoverable at brandonz at Microsoft.com. I'm also on Twitter at brandonz. And if you go up to my LinkedIn every now and then, I'll write an article, just kind of my thoughts on gaming and accessibility. Uh, feel free to hit me up there. So with that, uh, thank you for listening, and uh, we'll come on and we'll move on with our next speaker.